Every life has its seasons with some magic we'll get through. Hippie witch has her reasons and she's sharing them with you. Hippie witch season five. Hello, thanks for joining me for episode 521 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode, which will have links to today's fascinating guest, Scout Sobel of The Scout Agency. She's hooked me up with some podcast guests, and she is such a nice, patient person. And I've really enjoyed interacting with her behind the scenes. So when I found out that she had a book coming out, I was like, you have to come on the podcast to talk about it because... I love a good biz witchy story. I definitely feel a kinship with creatives, especially creative entrepreneurs, creative solopreneurs, but also because the name of her book is The Emotional Entrepreneur, and she really encourages you to build the belief that you are safe in your emotions and that your emotions are not bad and that... You can thrive in life in biz despite maybe having a mental health challenge, which I know so many people do these days. We speak specifically about type 2 bipolar disorder, which she was super generous in talking about. I had a lot of questions, and she's the kind of person where you feel like you can ask those questions and get not just an honest answer, but like a useful answer. I think that this is going to be useful for many of you. I'm especially excited for the biz-oriented creatives out there listening right now because in addition to, you know, we're living in a very emotional time, so this is super relevant right now. I also know that so many of us suffer from this notion that we have to pick one thing, build a career identity on that one thing, and then stick to it forever, which is so antithetical to the way a creative brain often works. So she speaks to that as well. Her life speaks to that as well. So I feel like if that's you, this episode is going to be a breath of fresh air. And I'm not going to put my usual jibber-jabber on the front of it. I'm just going to roll right into the thing and hope you love it. Hi, Scout. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I've kind of gotten to know you a very little bit behind the scenes, but we've never spoken before, so this is exciting. I know. We've gotten so many of our Scouts Agency clients on your podcast, which makes me happy. Yeah, and What I'd like to do, actually, I'm excited to talk about your book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. The name just slays me. (laughs) I love it so much. But um, I have to share a story that I think will perfectly demonstrate the glamours of 
the entrepreneurial life. And that is that five minutes ago, right before I logged on to have this conversation, I live in a house that's 110 years old. I went to open my office door and the doorknob came off in my hand. <laughs> oh like, no. I cannot get to my computer. I cannot get to this interview. So I'm like, rifling through the junk drawer looking for a screwdriver so I just like made it in at the nick of time with a doorknob in my hand that probably is the epitome of entrepreneurship it's like the computer's there the interview's there but to get to it you got to go through a fire oh my gosh yes in fact what did you say I screenshotted this where is this This is so good, Scout. Being an entrepreneur isn't branding or even coming up with a million-dollar idea. Being an entrepreneur is walking through the fire with your head held high. Yeah, you know, that one gets me every time because I wrote that that specifically because I think that in today's age, everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the entrepreneur because they want to create their own branding and their own this and their own that. But At the end of the day, all of those facets of business, branding, um, sales, customer experience, product development, et cetera, you know, those are separate roles. The role of the entrepreneur, while you get to do all of those things and wear all the hats, which is really fun, the real testament, I think, or the real test of the entrepreneur is the ability to walk through the fire with your head held high. Oh, yeah, for sure. And This is kind of strange, but I do business coaching as well. And a really common thing is people will procrastinate, but not know they're procrastinating doing all those other things, which are way more fun. The fire scares them, but they don't even know that they're afraid of it. They're just like, I need to update my website. I need to improve my branding. And you really can stay in that for years and actually not have a business. It just looks like a business on the internet. Yeah. You know, I love branding. It's interesting because I love branding. I love aesthetics. You should see my house. It's beautifully curated with amazing interior decor and furniture, vintage, mid-century modern, and I'm really into fashion. And, you know, aesthetics is a really, really big part of how I emotionally feel. What is my ambiance that I'm creating in? And I think that when it comes to my business, I settle for good for now aesthetics in the pursuit of actually getting the work done. And then once the work is done and it's flowing, then I can go upgrade the aesthetics, which is what I did. I launched Scouts Agency, you know, on Instagram with a very pink aesthetic and and it was beautiful, but it wasn't necessarily potentially my, my soul's favorite branding. And then once I had the business set up and the clients and the, the employees and things were running a little bit more smoothly, then I was like, okay, let's play in the branding space. Let's play in the aesthetics. And I think that It really depends on your business. And at the same time, I think that you're never going to look back on the first iteration of your product, of your website, of anything, and, you know, be super stoked. There's going to be a little bit of cringe. And that's the whole point. The point is to evolve and grow and move forward and create versus stay stagnant on little details that really only you can see. Yeah, I think it's important too to know what works for you because I love fashion and style and I have the jankiest website on the internet. I mean, it's not because I don't want it to be gorgeous. It's just because I know that's not what people are connecting with. 
and I am a busy single mom. So I just have to prioritize. And I know what people connect with is my personality. They like to listen to the podcast. They aren't even going to my website half the time. So I have to pick and choose where I put my energy. And it's so far, it's worked all right. Yeah, that's really smart. Knowing you know, not every business, other businesses, the website might be the most important thing because that's right. where the home lives. So it's really understanding where is the majority of your community? Where's the majority of the eyeballs fine tuning that? And then you get to upgrade other areas as you go along. Totally. Yes. You should tell people what you do. Cause it's a lot. And I feel <laughs> like, I feel like you can say it better than I can, but also to any aspiring entrepreneurs or current entrepreneurs. I have read The Emotional Entrepreneur and it is awesome and you will love it. Oh, thank you. Okay. So yes, I'm getting a little overwhelmed. But where do I start here? So I am the founder of Scouts Agency and Scouts Agency is a female focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. So we run really high profile podcast tours for women who want to get their mission out there, their voice, their book, their product, their business, whatever it might be. And we've had the pleasure of working with incredible women like Rebecca Minkoff and Vanessa Rossetto, Kat Sadler, Kathy Heller, Jessica Zweig. It's been truly, truly amazing. And we also have a few other services where we book high-profile guests on your podcast and do traditional PR. But the, the real impetus and inspiration for my current career at Scouts Agency was that I started OK Sis Podcast with my sister three years ago now, August 2018. And that's really what led me into the world of podcasting and really falling in love with the intimacy, the vulnerability, the depth of connection and community that you can find in the podcasting industry. So it really started with OK Sis, which I still run today. And then that led to me launching Scout Podcast, where I talk about the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship on solo episodes, kind of like bite-sized solo episodes. And now I am proud to be the author of the book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. And that book really goes well with the Scout podcast. Yes. Yeah. Those two are very, very interwined. I think that, you know, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 20. And so there is this really, emo- obviously, emotional side of me and the way I view the world. And so on OK Sis, I get to play and be in the energy of my sister and be in the energy of incredible female entrepreneurs and women that I so admire. And then Scout Podcast is where I really get to retreat and meet my soul in many ways. And then that is kind of the impetus and the energy that I created and wrote this book with. You do so much. I don't know what to ask you about first. I'm so curious about what it's like to do a podcast with your sister. I feel like my sister and I would just argue the entire, (laughs) we have really different worldviews. So I think that's really interesting that you two can get along and do that. And I know for sure that my audience would love to hear you talk about what it's like to be diagnosed as having, I think, bipolar type two. I'm not really sure what the type, but I know That is a terrifying diagnosis because I think people are afraid that they won't be able to function and you are functioning at a very high level. I feel like it, there's something about that diagnosis that can breed this feeling of mistrust of yourself. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Well, you nailed it on the head there. Yes. Yeah. I've actually never had someone reflect it that, that perfectly back to me. I was 20 when I was diagnosed. I had my first depressive episode at 14. And so I've been dealing with 
a mental illness for 16 years now. I'm about to be 30. And when I was diagnosed, I don't even think Instagram was around or it was the first year Instagram was around, if that kind of paints a picture of the time. So mental health, hashtag self-care, self-love, personal development, spirituality in many ways was not quote unquote trendy or talked about or being pushed to mainstream. There were no sweatshirts that had mental health sayings on them. There was no real talk of therapy. I was really my, the only person I knew in therapy. And so when I was diagnosed at the age of 20, I was in college. And I remember she said she, she delivered the diagnosis as manic depressive. And I didn't even know what that was. And I totally disassociated for the rest of the session. I don't even remember what she said to me. And I went home into my apartment with my friends and I Googled, what is manic depressive disorder? And it said bipolar disorder. And I thought in that moment that it was a death sentence. I thought I was going to be crazy forever. I thought that I had no future. I thought that I was severely ill. And in in many ways I was, and in many ways there was a power within that was not being fostered and nurtured and, and really encouraged. But I dropped out of college in that moment. I was on the next flight home to San Diego. I moved back in with my dad. I went through outpatient. That next summer, they locked me up on inpatient, which was a terrible experience for me. And I went through a lot of weird jobs. I was a gelato scooper, a waitress, I mean, sorry, a hostess. I was a bookseller at a bookstore. I interned for a magazine. I was a barista. And, you know, everything I tried, I quit because it was too emotionally difficult. I couldn't, I couldn't get through my life. So I was really deemed unfunctioning. So in that in that space that you said most people don't know how to function, you know, I was there. I, I was there. I was in it. I was having anxiety attacks and psychosis and paranoia. And I started to distrust my mind. And I didn't know how to heal if I couldn't trust my mind. And so I, it was very confusing for me. And looking back, you know, one of my missions, I think, on this, on this planet, not at this moment in time, but I know that eventually it'll become my mission, potentially when I'm older, is to really provide a program for people who are diagnosed with a, with a diagnosis like myself. You know, alcoholics and addicts have a place to go. They go to detox and then rehab and then sober living and meetings. And there really wasn't that structure for me. And so I had to figure it out myself. And so it wasn't until I started dating my then boyfriend, now husband, at the age of 21. He comes from a recovery background. He, I'm proud to say, he is 10 years sober now. And he looked at me and he said, I don't care if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I will be in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I won't be here. And it was the first time that somebody put a boundary around my mental illness. Mm. I think that many times when someone's diagnosed with a mental illness, the narrative is, well, they can't control it. It's out of their control. And so, you know, I got hall passes to not go to the birthday dinner and not show up to brunch and not be at my grandma's birthday and et cetera. And he looked at me and he, he saw what was in my control and he empowered me to go and find it. And oh, I love a person who's been through recovery. They are oh, so, me too. They're so wise. Get, get you some recovered friends, everybody. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they tell you something and you're like, really, you got to be that tough lovey, but it's always true. It's so, yeah. Yeah. They know. So, some shit. Yeah. So that's kind of the moment that I took my healing into my own hands, which led me 
to find entrepreneurship, which led me to highly functioning in society and finding spirituality as well as a way to really, really heal myself. I cannot separate spirituality from personal development, self-help. It's just all one big, like whatever helps me sticks and it becomes part of my program. I don't care if I learned it from Oprah or some magazine from 1973. I don't care how it's framed. If it works, it becomes part of the program. I love that. So true. And that's such a good way to look at it because I think that people want a prescription many ways, like the 12 steps is a very strict prescription, but at the end of the day, finding what works for you is the most empowering thing. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if we get sort of specific about bipolar disorder is disorder? I'm not really sure about language anymore. I feel like I'm walking through a landmine with particularly when you're talking about something like bipolar disorder, because people are very sensitive about it. And we are reframing these things. Is that the correct way to say it? Personally, I I really don't mind. You can say bipolar disorder, you can say bipolar, you know, mental illness, disease, disorder. For me, I don't really put so much charge behind the words. It's more of just a way to communicate what I'm experiencing. So for me personally, I, I really don't mind. Okay. Well, the thing I wanted to kind of dial in on is something that I have experienced with people that have had this diagnosis. I married one Mm. and and divorced him. And a pattern I notice is, you know, there's the manic phase. This is something that somebody could really start something exciting. You know, they're excited about it. They get other people excited about it but then it swings back to the low and everything falls apart. And that's how you lose trust with yourself Mm -hmm. and other people lose trust with you. And that can get you stuck. So I'm wondering as an entrepreneur, just in general, for any entrepreneur, a big part of that is managing your energy and knowing yourself. And how do you do that when you have that dynamic going on, you know, like the high highs and the low lows? Um, I became an entrepreneur because it has high highs and low lows. I found that entrepreneurship perfectly mirrored the way my brain worked. It felt like home in -hmm. many ways. It allowed my mania and my manic energy to create something. But where I had to take radical responsibility is when you run a business, you can't afford to just have creative ideas and run with it and then disregard and move on. That's not how businesses will grow and flourish. It's about once you have that manic energy, once you have that inspiration, it happens to me all the time where it'll be like 7 p.m. on a Thursday and I, and I have this idea and then all of a sudden I can't sleep because I just want to execute on it really, really quickly. And, you know, sometimes as someone who's been through healing practices for eight years, I I can really recognize that energy. And sometimes I just need to get it out. Sometimes I do need to create something. Sometimes it is getting on Canva and making the first slide of a presentation that I think I'm going to give to the world that's never going to see the light of day the next day. You know, sometimes it is getting that energy out. But it's always now with responsibility on my shoulders of team members and clients. It's understanding when I need to get my energy out and then understanding when that energy is actually going to move the needle forward in my business. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely have a biological chemical 
need when I get a strike of inspiration to move pretty quickly with it. I have kind of trained my mania to live within my business so that the ideas are directly correlated to the growth of my business that make rational sense with revenue projections. And so in that, it has been a great superpower for me. And it takes some managing because, you know, you get burned out and you get tired and and creating at that level of speed and that intensity does come with a little bit of a hangover. But for me, I've been able to become so aware, you know, I'm really lucky bipolar type one, I believe, you know, mania is, is more prevalent and takes over towards psychosis. I'm more on the depressive side of things. Mm-hmm. And my psychosis lends itself to more depressing things and, and paranoia, et cetera. But the mania I have, I guess the best way to put it is trained. I've trained it to, if something needs to come out of me, that's, that's not good for my business that I don't need to bring other people in. I just got to move the energy myself. I do it. I get over it. I move on. And then if I have an idea and mania hits and it rationally makes sense for my business, then I'll employ other people and get it moving. I love that you harness and direct that energy. I think that's key. It is. And it's a hard thing to do because when you're stuck in the depths of a mental illness, you know, your my mind was telling me to do really terrible stuff to myself and I have to hold on to a center of that's not me, that's not my soul, that's that's something else going on. And so once I started to become unafraid of my emotions, understand that a greater force was holding me and supporting me, I was able to then assess when my emotions come up and and make executive decisions on which ones we're going to play out and which ones we're going to we're going to let pass. Yeah. I mean, that's a good lesson for everyone. What, what is this greater source to you? What do you think that is? You know, it's, it's so, I find that I'm so great at talking about my career and my mental illness and personal development. And then when you ask me what my higher power is, I, I fall short because I really am in the camp that it's something so magical that we can't even start to comprehend it or label it or create, you know, a visual representation of it. The higher power for me is something that one day I hope to meet and will meet, you know, when I pass on to the next life. It is something that is holding the galaxy, the universe together. It has a divine plan, which for some purpose, I was born here out of that divine plan. It's this all-knowing support force that put me here for a reason. And even if I fail or even if I mess up or even if I do something stupid, I know that this loving force, its purpose is to support me and love me and guide me and remind me that beyond all of the shit we go through in life, there's beauty and love and safety I really believe that we as humans are put here on a spiritual universal assignment. I believe earth is some kind of test, some pathway towards something. I one day will find out. And I believe that when we are chosen to be born here in the, in the physical, in a human body, our souls are put through unique tests and it's our, it's our birthright. It's, it's our, it's our, it's our job to listen pass the tests, accept the universal assignments, look around and see magic, 
understand the synchronicities are at play, understand that everything that happens to us is for us and not to us. And we don't have to live in the 5D. We don't have to live in airy-fairy spirituality. We don't have to ascend and be in spirit all the time because that's, that's not really why we're put on a 3D planet. Right. I believe we're put here to be grounded here into our souls so that when we enter the 5D, when we enter into the more spiritual realms after this life, we can take with us a lot of grounded, soulful wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your definition of source, the divine, however people want to say it, because it really is ineffable. It is mm-hmm. ineffable, but it is an energy that you can build trust with and work with. And through doing that, you might come to the same conclusion that Scout did here that there's something loving about it. There is some guidance available to you if you're willing to trust a little bit. And that trust trust can grow. Yeah, I think it's it's all about trust and faith and surrender. Um, And once you do that, I find that I'm not so afraid of life. I'm not so afraid of challenging things happening to me because I have this really, really great foundational support of God, the universe, spirit, energy, whatever you want to call it, that I know is guiding me and has me at all times. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I like to think about too is like, I know that I'm meant to be here on the planet and not transcend this life because this is where I am. This is what is, this is what's happening. So I'm just going to assume that's for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, when I first kind of had one of my bigger spiritual awakenings, I felt like I was kind of floating in the clouds and I realized that that's a really, there's a really, it's really easy to get blinded by that feeling, by that vastness, by the expansiveness, by the greatness of the cosmos and all that good stuff. But I, I kind of came around and looked around and I said, wait a minute, but my feet are on the ground and I'm here. And so here is where I'm going to do the work. Mm, Yes. Yeah, exactly. How does that come into play? I I keep bringing it back to this because I know a lot of people listening right now are struggling with mental health issues, especially given the year we just came off of the year that we're going into. Things are so uncertain and it's really messing with people How do you make peace with the superpowerness of it? I heard you say superpower, and that is a word I had in my head. You know, a lot of people will not seek medication, for example, because they're afraid they'll lose the magic of having something like bipolar disorder. Is that an experience you had? You know... And I don't know if this is going to, you know, land super well, but I think that one, I'm not on medication today, but I was for many, many years and it really served its purpose. I believe a few things. I believe that medication is not the whole answer. So even if you take it, you better show up for your life because it won't work if you don't. Oh, good. So, you know, yeah. So there's that. And so with that, you know, 90% of the work is internal. 10% could be the medication. If you don't want to take medication or get better because you'll lose the magic, you have to ask yourself at what rate and at what cost are you willing to ruin your life and live in pain and suffering because of some ideological 
suffering artist or the ability to see things with quote unquote more magic than others. I found that the magic that came with my mental illness, the creativity, the depths, the suffering, the poetry, it doesn't compare to the magic that happens when you heal. And Mm -hmm. so I really invite you to not be afraid to lose that magic. That magic will just transcend into something that will actually push your life forward versus regress it. And it took me a long time to let go of this narrative that I was special and unique and creative and gifted with words and writing and poetry. And I I attributed it to my bipolar and I sat in so many psychiatrist's offices and I said, no, I can't go on medication or else I'll lose my creativity. Well, you know, that creativity was, was my ego keeping me small. It was my ego telling me to not show up for my life and take radical responsibility and heal my traumas and my codependency. So whatever narrative you're telling yourself, you really have to ask, is it actually serving me or is it keeping me in a state of destruction? And if you're afraid of losing the magic, I promise the magic is 10 times more pure and potent and incredible on the other side. And you'll look around and be so grateful and in awe of the life that you built, not the life that came to you because you follow the depressive path, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some ways I can see a relationship there between a thing that addicts experience too. They're afraid to get sober because they're afraid to lose the same thing, that magic, that creativity, those insights that can actually kind of take you nowhere. They feel really exciting in the moment, but I promise you they take you nowhere. They, I mean, maybe a few people have gotten somewhere with it, but it's just a facade. It's, it's a trap. It's an addiction that keeps you exactly where you are. It's a lie that your, your mind is telling you. Absolutely. Yeah. How did this end up being, I'm wondering how you got to, okay, sis. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, I'm thinking about your sister. I keep thinking about this. She's your, she's your sister that you grew up with. She, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so she has to be a part of this story too, right? (laughs) Yeah, you know, so Mads is three years younger than me and she's now coming into her own of how my disorder affected her childhood in many ways. I think because I was the depressed one, she felt like she had to be the happy one. And so she would really stuff uncomfortable or negative emotions because she was like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's what Scout deals with, not me. And so... In many ways, she's super coming into her own and her own healing through therapy, which I'm so proud of her for. But, you know, in the beginning, her and my dad really didn't so much understand that this this was an illness in many ways, a disorder, something that I was born with. And it took her a little bit to, to understand that. But I really see our relationship pre-OKSIS and post-OKSIS. Pre-OKSIS, we were close, you know, three years apart. It's not that much. Maybe in high school, it's a little bit of a, of a time gap, but... We've always been close. We've always enjoyed the same things. We could go on the same vacation and have a great time and pick the same restaurants and the same hotels to stay at and the same concerts to go to. We are very different personality-wise, 100%, but our lifestyles were similar. And I grew up with a very, very close family, so we were always together. But it wasn't until I started OKSIS that my relationship with my sister became so incredibly deep. You know, there were times before OKSIS where we wouldn't text each other for two weeks. Now, you know, I don't think we go more than six hours at a time without texting each other. And I started OKSIS really because I had my own podcast 
and I was feeling stale and I wasn't really enjoying it and I wasn't growing it or treating it like a business. And we were at a hotel for her birthday and we had just gotten massages and we had one too many rosés and we're out at the pool. And I said, you know, I don't have an episode for next week. Do you want to record real quick on my phone? I didn't have equipment. My podcast is about mental health and spirituality. And she said, sure, let's talk about The Bachelor. And I said, okay. And we went into the business center of the hotel and we ate truffle chips the entire time, which was terrible for the audio. And (laughs) we had so much fun. There was an energy between us that when concentrated and put behind a mic just was magic. And so I couldn't stop thinking about how I felt, how she cracked me open into more silliness and joy and playfulness, which I'm forever grateful and still makes me uncomfortable to this day. (laughs) And, you know, two weeks later, I texted her. I said, we got to do something together. I just, I got to follow this energy. And then after that, two weeks later, we launched OKSIS and it's been wildly successful and popular. And we've been able to interview the most amazing women and, and it has provided us with a community and a network beyond our wildest dreams. And it's, challenged both of us on a personal development level. I think I've brought Mads out of her shell as far as like chasing her dreams and, you know, disregarding fear and really going for it in her life to do the things that she wants to do. And she's really pushed me out of my comfort zone of being, you know, a little bit more serious. And she's allowed the world to see a very silly, playful side of me, which again, makes me uncomfortable. And yet I see such merits and and such growth in myself that she's pulling that out of me. And so it has been a beautiful three years. It has come with challenges for sure. But there's something about me and Mads that when bottled up, you kind of get drunk on it, I think. And and we'll we'll forever be in that energy together. Oh, I love that. You said something about the podcast you were doing before and not treating it like a business. And then you talked about OK Sis really taking off. Was it that OK Sis took off because you were having fun and people just caught on? Or did it take off because you started treating it like a business because you were having fun? Does that question make sense? (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of both. And I think it's interesting because the podcast that I was working on before, it was being produced by a studio for free because they had just opened a studio and they wanted some experience and audio. And so I really believe that because everything was done for me, I didn't show up as much for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in the beginning of starting anything, a podcast, a business, a YouTube channel, whatever it might be, I think it is really important for you to do everything yourself in the beginning, just so you can really really imprint into the business and, and integrate exactly what needs to be done to, to bring it up. And so I think that because everything was done for me, I was a little lackadaisical about it. I wasn't paying for it. So there wasn't that, you know, monetary energetic exchange as well. And so when I started, okay, sis, because I was feeling like I wasn't taking my other podcast seriously and that didn't really feel good to me because I really am kind of an all in kind of person. uh, We decided that if we were going to do it together, we were going to do it together very seriously and really commit to it. We've never missed uh, a Monday since we started. And so we went into it with intentions to treat it seriously. I think we went into it with intentions of commitment. And then as we started getting bigger and bigger guests on and just kind of kept going and figuring it out as we went along, then we started saying, okay, listen, this has now become a part of our brand. It's part of what we're publicly known for on the internet how do we get strategic about what we're doing here? 
And so introducing that strategic business side of it, you know, revenue ads, we're now with a network, merch, et cetera. There has come some business clashing with me and my sister. I'm a lot more blunt and straightforward when it comes to business. She's, I think, a little bit actually more sensitive, which is interesting because in life, it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've had to work on our business styles. But, you know, I, I don't think me and Mads could work together on a full-time business. But I think that working together on OKSIS, we're both super aligned with the vision and where it's going, as well as the commitment to show up for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not even 30 yet, right? No, I can't wait to be, to be honest. I'm like counting down. I want to be 30 so badly. Oh, enjoy, enjoy these last moments of your twenties. Cause when they're gone, you're gone forever, but But, I'm thinking you've done some awesome things in your twenties. Like you got your shit together pretty early. And, yeah. I, and I know there's some failures in there. For sure. I also see, like, I can go through your bio and see, oh, you had a magazine and you're proud that, you know, it was on the newsstands and in Barnes and Noble and Halsey was on the cover, I think, for the third edition. I've always fantasized about having a magazine. I probably never will, but it's such a great fantasy because I love magazines. <laughs> so that's what I really related to. But also it didn't last. So did you experience that as a mistake or a defeat or a correction? Like what specifically about that magazine? What was that experience like for you? You know, by the time I got to be 20, God, I'm so bad at years, 26, I had done the magazine and I was brought on to launch a digital media site. And I was just kind of cycling through projects and careers. And to the outside world, AKA my family and my friends, they were like, is Scout ever going to do something all the way? Is she ever going to complete something is, you know, et cetera. And I, I never really viewed it like that. You know, when I started my magazine, it was the thing that introduced me to entrepreneurship. I, at that point had just started to be able to hold a part-time job as a barista. And I was sitting with my friend at a coffee shop and I said, do you want to start a magazine? Cause we were flipping through an indie magazine and she said yes. And we really were just supposed to print it, you know, at Kinko's and pass it out to our friends. It was supposed to be an art project and something in my brain clicked. And I was like, we got to buy the domain name and get the Instagram handle. And then we got to set up appointments at printers. And I went insane. I think like the mania finally turned on towards a productive area of my life. (laughs) And all of a sudden I was like, I need $10,000. And then I did a Kickstarter campaign And we passed the first one out for free. And then the second one we sold on newsstands. And then Barnes & Noble emailed me to carry the third, which Halsey was on the cover for. And it was the most rewarding, amazing experience of my life. Did we make money? Absolutely not. Everyone worked on it for free. We used our Kickstarter campaign to cover the printing costs, et cetera. And after the third issue, you know, my dad says, "Is, is this a hobby or a business? And I really went for a whirlwind in those two and a half years launching this magazine. I also went back to school and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, I'm part-time as a barista. I'm in, I'm in community college and I'm, and I'm doing this magazine. All of a sudden I'm like the over-functioning girl, which was never my, my story or my narrative. And so at that point in time, I wasn't ready to quote unquote, bring on investors and run a business, et cetera. And so I let it go. I said goodbye and I moved on to the next thing. And I've never ever viewed the 
the projects, the career phases, the things that I've worked on as failures. They, they're just not. They catapult me to the next thing. I'm not afraid to cycle between things because of reality and what feels good and where my inspiration levels go. You know, I reinvent myself now all the time with Scouts Agency when I need a refresh because I do get bored. I do need to reinvent things, um, you know, like every eight months. So I don't view them as a failure. I've I never. Love, I'm loving this. I just have to say, I'm smiling so hard, my cheeks hurt right now. Yeah, you know, and when I started Scouts Agency, I told my friends and family, and they're like, "You sure? You got time for that? We're going on another thing." And I said, "Am I allowed to cuss on you?" Absolutely. And I said, "You know what? I'm gonna fucking do whatever I fucking want to do for as long as I fucking want to do it. Period. I don't care if it looks a certain way to you." I don't care if it's exhausting you. I don't care if it's not the conventional thing to do. I don't work in conventions. I'm bipolar. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so, you know, when I started Scouts Agency, my first goal truly was to make it a financially successful business. That was my challenge because I hadn't done that in my previous pursuits. I didn't want it to be a hobby. I wanted it to be a business. And I did that and I continuously evolved Scouts Agency and reinvent it because I love living in it and have really found a more permanent home in it. But, you know, I cycled through probably one, one time I had a blog, then I had this other podcast, then I was working for my mom's startup. You know, it's okay. It's okay to cycle between opportunities and interests and energy levels because you'll find the thing that you're meant to play in. You know, I wouldn't have found podcasting had I not gone through everything I went through before that. I'm so excited for your 30s. <laughs> Me too. God, I wish I had entered my 30s feeling like that. I was feeling strong, actually, I have to say. I was feeling pretty strong. I got a little sidetracked with some man stuff. But I, <laughs> hearing you talk, I'm like, wow, there's some wisdom here that you get to bring into that decade. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, no one told me that your 20s are the biggest shit show of your life. Oh, so, God. Um, Oh God! I'm happy. <laughs> exiting. I don't need my youth. I don't need youth. I need. Uh, I need my thirties. You know, thirties is still youthful, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really have embraced this idea of projects too. I think that's so important for creative people because your career will, for many of us, be a series of projects, and you can frame it that way. And I remember thinking, "Wow, I'm coming up on ten years of doing this." podcast what am I doing (laughs) you know it's just been such an organic thing I just went where the people are and they were having fun and I was having fun and I was like will I do this until I'm 90 where am I going with this and I started just branching out and doing like a little side like a secret podcast a little side hustle and it was so satisfying just to do something fresh yeah, I think there's a lot of merit in in doing something fresh. I really do. And now, because I'm a little bit more stable and not emotionally all over the place, I can recognize that I can do something fresh within the current foundation and existence of my business. I can take my business far for the next 10, 20, whatever, maybe, I don't know, who knows, maybe it'll be five, maybe it'll be 15. And I get to introduce new fresh things. But I remember I was walking with my mom and I looked at her and I, and I was talking about, you know, launching a book and all this stuff. And she says, you know, you really need to focus on your agency. Like you, you can't just up earth and uproot new projects like this. And I said, mom, I know that it makes you unsafe 
that I need fresh new projects all the time. I know that that doesn't provide you with a stability framework for me in my life, but this is the way I've chosen and this is the only way I know how and this is what lights me up. And so this is the path I'm going to take. My agency is here to stay for a long time, but I cannot promise you that I will be running this in 15 years. And I think that fluidity and that openness and that willingness to try things and reinvent myself constantly is what makes my career, which I don't even really resonate with the word career, which makes my life's purpose fun and fulfilling. Where did you get that language? Like telling your mom, like, I know this makes you feel unsafe. Is this a therapy thing? I've been in therapy since I was 14, but it was really, I and yes, I, I received many codes of wisdom from therapy over the years. Truly, truly I did. But this type of understanding really kind of came into my, my uh, or integrated into the way I look at life when I hired my mindset coach, Amy Natalie. I worked really, really intensely with her this last year, a little over a year now. And I was able to identify when I feel unsafe or when somebody else feels unsafe and then calmly lead myself back to safety and back to groundedness. We need a public official that does this for our country. (laughs) We know you're feeling unsafe right now. I I apologize, but I am not going to, uh, I'm not going to nominate myself for the role. (laughs) (laughs) What has it done for you stepping into a leadership position? Because you have a team. What does that do to you as a person who is very, very creative and also manages a mental health issue? Did that change you stepping into that role? Was it scary? Were you excited to do it? Yeah, uh, scary, scary, difficult, challenging. Managing a team is harder than I ever expected. And I don't think it's my strength. I've actually hired someone to help me manage my team because <laughs> it's it's a it's a specific skill set for sure. I remember the first time I hired my full, my first full time employee, I literally wanted to vomit for twenty four hours. I couldn't comprehend the idea that I was financially responsible for someone's entire life. The second time I hired an employee, I also wanted to vomit for twenty four hours. And then the third time I hired an employee, I was sitting there journaling in the morning, thinking about it, planning, you know, I had a person in mind and all of a sudden I felt nauseous. And I said to myself, ah, fuck, I'm going to hire someone today, you know, and then it, (laughs) then it passed. And now I do it with quite ease. And so it really is a muscle. And I will say that as someone who, you know, is not necessarily a business where there's investments. So revenue is coming in every single month. You know, I hired my first employee six months into starting the agency. It was my first business I had ever viably financially run. I was three months off of quitting my day job. It was scary. And I really am not here on this planet to not do scary things. I live scary in my mind. And so if if this is the new scary for me, at least this scary is propelling my life forward. There's a chapter in my book called Get an ROI on Your Pain. Just because something is uncomfortable and evokes fear and anxiety does not mean that it needs to be dismissed. You just really have to think if going through this discomfort is going to give me an ROI, is it going to grow your team? Is it going to put you in in place of your dreams? Is it going to heal something? Is it going to make you a better leader, et cetera? Sometimes that pain is necessary and it can be really revered as holy and sacred. And so, yes, hiring a team physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally scared me. It does 
somewhat scare me now, but I'm used to it. And you really graduate every single time you do something new to that next level and your bandwidth of what you can take responsibility on and what you can manage grows as, you know, it's like a muscle. And so I think I'm in a pretty good place with it right now, but it is, it is very scary to hire people. I think one of the hardest facts of life is, or at least in my life, this has been true. You build trust with yourself by doing really, really scary things. And I was a person that would always avoid the really, really scary things, but then I would lose trust with myself. It would ruin my self-esteem. So it's sort of like the only way out is through. You, you just have to walk through that fire, like you said, of being an entrepreneur and you get stronger. What scared you three years ago no longer scares you, but then there's another thing to be scared of because you're still walking through that fire. Yeah. And if you could have told me that truly four years ago and I would be so defeated, I would be, I would be like, what you mean? It never ends. Like this is exhausting. (laughs) And it really took a perspective shift for me on it. It never ends. And we get to do this. We get to grow. We get to be challenged. I am no longer in the camp of, I want a completely rosy, fulfilled, joyful life all the time. Of course, having joy and happiness and fulfillment is so important And I'm available for anything life throws my way. I am available for any uncomfortable emotion. I am available for challenging experiences. I am here to live. And we cannot, or I got to a place where I could no longer conditionally love my life. I had to unconditionally love every aspect of it, whether that aspect was being anxious one day or whether it was being super joyful. And so once I just accepted that this is life, that it goes and it goes and it goes and it grows and new challenge, new this, new that, new up level, I was able to feel at peace and at ease with the trajectory of being a human. This is so profound after reading your book and knowing that you suffered from paranoia. Oh God, paranoia. Like I thought men were following me home. I thought they were under my bed. I thought they were on my balcony, in my car, I would have friends look through my trunk and they'd say, we're all clear. And I would still call someone and drive home with someone on speaker in case someone popped out. I really, my brain did start to lose touch with reality in that respect. Wow. How do you manage that on the internet? Because I I feel like the internet can make you paranoid in a way when you put yourself out there. I call it stranger danger. You know, if I have a podcast that really connects with people, I will get some strange emails and they're intense. And that actually makes me feel a little bit paranoid. Like, is this person just going to show up at my front door one day? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you negotiate that with yourself? Doing a podcast, for example. I think there's two points to this question. I think the first is that I grew up with the internet being just what we do. And so in in many ways, it's quite normal, I believe, to take an Instagram story and tag where I'm at and post it. I obviously think that eventually people get to a point where that is dangerous. But I, I don't know if it was super conscious, but I created my career around women. So we only have female guests on OKSIS. Every single person that listens to OKSIS is a woman except for my husband, my sister's boyfriend, and one guy named Guy who we love. Um, <laughs> Shout out so, to the one guy named Guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously, he's the only one. And, you know, at my agency, we pretty much only represent women. If if a male client comes to me, I have to vibe with his energy. If I sign him, it's like 2% of our roster is men. 
everyone I work with is women. And so maybe it's probably a safety defense mechanism from the paranoia all those years. I feel more safe with women. And so I've created a career around them. And so everyone in my network, most of the people that follow me, everyone that listens to OKSIS really is majority women. And so I feel really safe in that. Not to say that just because they're a woman doesn't mean that some inappropriate and and boundary crossing things can happen. But it isn't something I think about, I think, just because it's so normalized in social media today and all my friends are doing it. And so I haven't had to think about that, although I, I pray to God I don't get to a point one day where I do have to think about it. And in the second token, I've created a community, even though everything is public, we've attracted the right type of people, the, the women I want to be friends with and in community with. So I think it's a little bit of both. It reminds me of something you said in your book about you aren't here to follow rules. You're here to make your own and you establish this is for women. I work with women. If a man comes through, we have to super, super vibe. We probably won't, but I'm open to it. I like that you are clear about that. Yeah, I I love working with women. And I think a part of that is because I really do kind of beat the tune of my own drum. And I have not gone the conventional way. You know, I never graduated college, et cetera. And so I've never really worked like a real quote unquote job. I've always kind of created opportunities for myself. And so I think that business because of women is becoming a new, there's a new paradigm in it. And we get to build what business means to us as women, because Yes, I know that women have been able to work for years, but I really believe this is the generation where so many women are becoming business owners. And I think in that new, you know, it hasn't been that long that women really have been in the workforce that we really get to establish what that looks like. We don't have to be masculine and stuffy and formal. We get to be emotional and intuitive and mothering and creative. And so I think that I recognize that if I was going to create a business, I wanted something that was new. I wanted us to pave the way together. And I felt as if, if I band together with women, we would be able to make that happen. Oh yeah. I do not believe that entrepreneurship is for everyone. An entrepreneur is a certain kind of person, but it's so amazing for women because we don't have to fit ourselves into a system that was really made for men. We don't have job insecurity when we get pregnant, for example, Mm -hmm. that we can run our business from home eight months pregnant and it's fine, you know? (laughs) And I just love that it works better with our natural energy cycles as women too, because we have some dramatic cycles depending on what phase of life you're in. Yeah, we totally do. You know, men hormonally cycle in 24 hours where women go through much longer cycles over the month. And so, you know, understanding that and, and working with that and, and honoring that, I think is a really important part of business. Mm-hmm. I definitely am sad that we've run out of time and I have a question I always end with, but for people that are listening on the go, can you tell them like, what's the easiest way to find you on the internet? The easiest way to find me on the internet is Instagram at Scout Sobel. There in my bio, you can find links to Scout's agency, Scout podcast, OKSIS podcast. My email's there, all that good things if you if you want to work with Scout's agency, if you want to listen to my podcast, and then you can buy The Emotional Entrepreneur on Amazon. Oh, it's so good. I hope anybody who's listening right now, if your interest is peaked, go check it out because it it's a different kind of book. It's interesting. I really loved it. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's it really is at the core of the emotional guidebook for entrepreneurs so that they can use their emotions to really, really propel them forward towards their dreams. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of tying into my last question, which is what is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? I think the one tip is to really start to cultivate the belief that you are safe in your emotions. I think that our emotions come up and they play with us and they paint our life in so many different ways. And so if you can really develop a beautiful, secure and trusting relationship with them, everything around you, outside of you will start to become a lot more decorated towards your dreams. Oh, I love that. It came out so fast. You must really believe it. That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you so much for doing this, Scout. Thank you for having me. This was such a pleasure. That's it, my friends. I knew this interview would not be for everyone, that some people would not resonate because they're not entrepreneurs. But I felt that Scout's message was important enough to put out there for those of you who it does resonate with. And if you listened this far into the podcast, I'm just going to assume that's you. So maybe go check out her new book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. Much luck to you on your journey. Much magic and luck and love to you on your journey. And, oh, Shadow Love. Shadow Love Summer Camp. Shadow Love is still 50% off. I'm going to be ending that sale toward the end of August. I don't have like a hard out, but it's been running for a while. But if you haven't taken advantage of it yet, you get 50% off the Shadow Love audio journey when you put the word groovy, all lowercase in at check out, it should roll 50% off the price. If you've ever wanted to do that program or if you're just in the mood to do some shadow work this fall, there will be a link in the show notes. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.